Hello and welcome to Signify Lighting Talks. I'm Jonathan Gruber. This is the first of a two-part show. Today's speaker, Adrian Joyce, spent years working as an architect in his native Ireland and all around Europe. These days, he designs policies. Mr. Joyce is the Secretary General of EuroACE, the European Alliance of Companies for Energy Efficiency in Buildings. And like its name suggests, EuroACE advocates for better policies and legislation at the European level that will lead to energy efficient buildings in all of Europe. Mr. Joyce's lecture is called The Green Deal A Tipping Point for Good. The goal is to give you a deeper appreciation of how addressing energy waste in buildings can help the EU to recover from the COVID-19 crisis and get quickly onto the path to climate neutrality. So, with no further ado, here's Adrian Joyce. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a real pleasure to be here. And uh, thank you to Signify for the invitation. They are one of our 15 uh, member companies and we greatly appreciate their support and the efforts they make towards uh, highly energy performing buildings. I am the Secretary General of the European Alliance of Companies for Energy Efficiency in Buildings. We are based here in Brussels and I hope what I have to say will give you a kind of a framework uh, and an understanding of the main moves of the European Union around a green uh, deal and a green recovery. And I will focus on the renovation wave strategy, which is one of the key uh, flagships of the European Green Deal. But before we go there, I thought it was worthwhile letting you know a bit about the building sector in the EU. It, it is a fact that we have about 210 million buildings in the European Union and uh, the area of those buildings, the, the square footage or the square meters of those buildings is roughly equivalent to the area of the country of Belgium. So imagine a one-story building the size of Belgium that is uh, lit, heated, cooled for the comfort and convenience of occupants. That's a very, very large um, area of built of buildings. And what does this represent in some terms that would be maybe more familiar to you? Well, each year, buildings represent 50% of the fixed capital assets that are created in Europe. The operation of the buildings consumes 40% of primary energy and, as a result, emits 36% of greenhouse gas emissions. As a result, you can imagine that it's impossible for the European Union to reach its long-term climate goals without addressing these uh, huge numbers in the building sector. But beyond that, and that's, if you like, the environmental impact, uh, the economic impact is really uh, significant as well. The annual turnover in the construction sector, so all types of construction, not just buildings, uh, is around 1,400 billion euro per year, roughly 9% of EU GDP. There are about 16 million direct jobs in our sector, uh, jobs that are given by 3.5 million enterprises, giving you an idea of the fragmentation and complexity of the sector. And uh, it must be highlighted that 97% of, of those enterprises have less than 10 employees. So really micro enterprises, uh, ones that are quite difficult to help 
uh, change uh, their methods and their practices, which is something that we need. Because what is the context uh, in which we find ourselves? And what was the context at the time the European Green Deal, uh, what was the context at the time it was adopted? Well, cast your minds back to 2019 and to the school strikes for climate and the Fridays uh, Youth for uh, Climate and Fridays for the Future movements. These movements had a very large impact on the political priorities of the new European Commission. And within 100 days of taking office, the new Commission published its European Green Deal and stated at the time that the Green Deal and its flagship options would become the primary motivation for all legislative uh, packages in this seven-year period. It was launched by the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, and it is Franz Timmermans, the first executive vice president, who is responsible to oversee its implementation. And the headline in the Green Deal is to bring the European Union to be fully climate neutral by 2050. Let me just highlight one or two achieving climate neutrality that I mentioned already. Uh, clean, reliable and affordable energy for uh, people, uh, a zero pollution Europe, a transition to a circular economy. So, and, and, and really importantly, take everyone along. In other words, make sure this is a just transition out to 2050. And within the main actions of the uh, Green Deal, we find uh, area four, energy and resource efficient buildings. And this area falls under the remit of Kadri Simpson. She is the Commissioner for Energy at the European Commission. And it is under this area that the renovation wave strategy was adopted. But in the time from the adoption of the European Green Deal and before uh, the renovation wave strategy was uh, proposed, COVID came in on top of this uh, very extreme uh, climate crisis that we are facing and complicated matters. So in the period before the renovation wave strategy was issued, we have what's called the Next Generation EU Initiative. This is the package of measures that the European Commission has put forward and that were last week adopted by the European Council and the European Parliament uh, on the EU strategy for recovery from COVID-19. And I would like this audience to consider the two elements, so the Green Deal and the Next Generation EU Initiative as merging in the next seven years, because what the Next Generation EU Initiative has done is it has put a lot more liquidity into the European funds. It has in fact added 672.5 billion euro uh, to be allocated before 2023. And I think what's really pertinent for us is that there's a rule that 37% of that funding must be on climate-related actions, which includes buildings, uh, our topic of particular interest. 20% must go on digitalization, an area where I know Signify are leading. And that money is going to be distributed 312.5 billion euro in grants, or simple giveaway money, as I like to call it, 
but 360 billion in loans will be raised from the markets. Uh, but those loans may well be given out at very low or even negative uh, interest rates. In order for this additional money to be uh, allocated, member states are required to prepare what are called national recovery and resilience plans, which must be approved by both the Commission and the Council of Member States, and must be spent through existing EU programmes. But when you add that recovery funding to the adopted budget for the next seven-year period of 1,100 billion euro, you end up with a total available potentially for our sector of 1,850 billion euro, give or take. So if we get 30% of this money, maybe 600 billion could come to buildings over the coming period. And that's where the renovation wave strategy comes in because the renovation wave strategy was then adopted after Generation EU initiatives. And what it aims to do, they intend to cut emissions, boost recovery and reduce energy poverty. So you see how they themselves are linking a Green Deal element with the recovery element. But uh, you will hear later that we take issue with the number of jobs they believe they can create. They say just 160,000 green jobs by 2030. We believe 10 times that number of jobs can be created. And I'll tell you why shortly. We see it as crucially important that the work improves the quality of life, the health and well-being for residents of the European Union. That means working on our buildings, which are highly inefficient highly energy wasting and highly uncomfortable in many, many cases. And the decarbonized, digitalized and smarter homes will require innovation in industry. It will require rollout and awareness raising for users and consumers, but can really help in getting additional energy efficiency and energy performance uh, in our buildings. Put another way, the Commission says that they have three pillars in their renovation wave strategy. The first is to tackle the energy poverty and worst performing buildings. Secondly, to focus on segments of the building stock, such as schools, hospitals, uh, public administrations and social housing, and in the process to decarbonize heating and cooling. Indeed, what the commission has said is that between now and 2030, they intend to achieve a 60% reduction in the greenhouse gas emissions from the building sector, at the same time reducing the energy demand of the building sector by 18% and uh, reducing uh, energy demand for heating and cooling by 14%. And we have shown with our work in Eurowaste and with our campaign Renovate Europe that all of that can be achieved while at the same time improving quality of life and prosperity and the health outcomes for our citizens. So the strategy hopes to uh, break down barriers that exist and have uh, are, for a man like me, who's been working in this area for nearly 15 years, these are perennial barriers. And they relate to things like information, lack of legal certainty, uh, split incentives between owners and tenants, uh, reduced capacity within the sector, not only uh, within the construction companies that I've referred to earlier, but also within the administrations and their technical knowledge and know-how, how do you build a pipeline of projects, etc. 
all of which can now be, uh, in fact, funded by the European Commission to help administrations at all governance levels to tackle those problems. They also hope to develop a stronger market for sustainable construction products. That goes with the circular economy uh, ideas uh, earlier set out in the Green Deal. And, and to emphasize a neighborhood-based and community-led approach. And I think that talks to the just transition part so that no one feels that, like they're being left behind. And by a neighborhood-based approach, we don't just mean district heating, for example. We mean taking all the buildings in the neighborhood together as an aggregated project and optimizing the energy performance of each building and using um, pairing and switching between different uh, use times of the day in order to balance the energy demand and the energy use uh, within a whole neighborhood. And that can be highly uh, more efficient than only having policies that go at a building by building level. And they can take in other things that I know signify our interest in like street lighting and uh, can, you know surveillance and security systems that can be um, rolled out at neighborhood level. So how did we react at, in Euroways to this strategy? Well, we were very positive. Uh, first of all, the strategy demonstrated a deep understanding by the European Commission of the role that buildings can play for a better society and towards climate action. We were happy because it proposes changes to regulation and we are a policy-based association. So we will now be working on revisions to the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive, excuse the acronym, that's EPBD here. And the Commission itself has already put forward ideas for that revision that we actually support. Um, first among them, uh, the introduction of minimum energy performance standards for all renovations. And such standards, while we think we can create a framework at European level will have to be written and implemented at national or even regional level across the European Union. But in, for example, the Netherlands, such an approach has already been adopted for office buildings, where, uh, if I remember correctly, and I hope my dates are right, all office buildings on the rental market must be energy performance C by 2023, reaching energy performance A by 2030. And having this kind of medium term uh, requirement allows, has allowed the market to, to adapt and adopt the standards earlier. And in fact, it also changed how financing is offered by banks within uh, the Dutch uh, context. So the introduction of minimum energy performance standards accelerated and scaled up, not just the number of renovations to office buildings, but actually the ambition of each of those renovations as they have to reach certain performance levels. So a very promising area, and we hope to be able to devise a flexible but, but ambitious framework at EU level that will allow all member states to introduce such requirements. And another acronym, I'm sorry about this, the new EPC framework, EPC standing for Energy Performance Certificates, because today's framework is to uh, heterogeneous. There are far too many um, methodologies for calculating and describing energy performance, and they are not comparable across borders within the European Union. So work will take place to um, make 
bring more comparability and to facilitate an easier and more accessible data sets to allow for good policy making. And the renovation strategy has adopted an action plan uh, setting out many actions that we had been calling for happily and others that uh, we can see will go uh, a long way towards making the renovation wave strategy a success. But making a success means mobilization. When we think about who and what needs to be mobilized, our first thought is national governments. As I pointed out earlier, the strength of an EU directive can only be realized if the member states put into place the requirements that they have agreed together here in Brussels in their own national legislation. So we would like to see more ambition and more action from national governments on long-term renovation strategies, on their recovery and resilience plans to access that money I spoke about earlier, and on ensuring stakeholder engagement. But on top of that, another group that needs mobilization are building owners in all sectors. There's no point trying to force uh, legislation or regulation on unwilling uh, private owners, for example, we need to engage with them and bring them with us by demonstrating the value of what we're talking about to them personally and more largely to the value to society as a whole. And mobilization of financing at EU and national levels. Happily, the new funds that I've presented earlier uh, can now be used each in conjunction with the other. It's called blending. You can blend a grant with a loan. You can have a loan that's underwritten by an EU uh, guarantee fund. You can take money from the recovery fund and mix it with the EU budget under the operational programs. So this is a good thing, but that mobilization still needs to be guaranteed by action on the ground. And beyond those more public uh, actors, we also need to mobilize uh, the value chain. And I'm not going to include here in the value chain the ministries, as well as the architects, the engineers, the contractors, the facility managers, the manufacturers of the products that go into uh, buildings and renovations. And they need to be mobilized at EU level, at national and local level, and can now be mobilized through new technical uh, support instruments where an enlarged budget has been given and at no cost to a member state or a ministry they can now apply for tailored support from, from the EU. And I can't um, go through this part of my presentation without highlighting the real importance of digitalization uh, movement going forward which I always link to industrialization of renovation. And industrialization of renovation can have many multiple benefits. For example, uh, more of the renovation activities can, can, be, can be undertaken in a factory condition, so in a clean, safe environment. More digitalization makes our sector more attractive to younger people and women and the quality of the work can be uh, supervised much more readily moving forward. So my last slide of content is to give you a critical appraisal of the renovation wave strategy. And the first thing I wanted to comment on is 
what are the implications of those headline objectives that I spoke to you about, the, the three reductions in uh, greenhouse gas emissions, energy consumption, and energy for heating and cooling? It is that, uh, and I actually overlooked to say that the renovation wave strategy specifically states that by 2030, the European Union must renovate 34 million buildings, which happens to be about one-sixth of the building stock. Well, if we get 18% reduction uh, in, uh, sorry, 14% reduction in final energy consumption of the stock by renovating one-sixth of the stock, it means that the average savings for that group of renovations must be six times 14, 84%. And that's really good news because that's exactly where we pitch the need for uh, each renovation to achieve that very high level of savings if we're going to achieve ambitious climate goals. But that doesn't get us to the 60% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, which implies that in parallel, quite an, an amount of the energy supply to buildings will have to be greened. And that goes very nicely with the European concept of nearly zero energy buildings, which are buildings where the energy demand is driven down as far as possible by good design, good uh, selection of materials and equipment and controls, and that the residual part left over is supplied by renewables. So this is very much in line with EU policymaking over the last decade. As I said, the job creation potential we think is very low, and the renovation wave strategy itself highlights that 12 to 18 jobs are created in renovation for every 1 million euro invested. And that would mean if we're investing at the level stated by the Commission itself, which is an extra 90 billion euro per year, we would be creating 1.6 million jobs, uh, not 160,000 jobs. And finally, um, just a note, a reminder that other directives are being um, reviewed, including the EED, that's called, that's the Energy Efficiency Directive. And there we find action on public buildings is specifically contained. At the present time, that directive only asks member states to renovate centrally owned and occupied public buildings. But we think it should be all public buildings so including schools, hospitals, libraries, administrative buildings, etc. So a lot of work lies ahead. I think, I hope my presentation has given you an idea of the complexity of the building sector but, and the challenges we face, but of the urgency and necessity to uh, address uh, the building sector. In, in reality, although the Green Deal and the Associated Renovation Wave Strategy are very big advances uh, in the European Commission. We are really only at the end of the beginning. And what I would like to do to this audience is say, look, let's roll up our sleeves, let's tackle these issues, and let's get the building stock uh, renovated in record time. And that was a message to us by Franz Timmermans himself during our annual Renovate Europe conference uh, online last October he literally said, this is your moment. This is your moment. Don't squander it. And so that's the message I wanted to leave you with. Uh, we as actors and stakeholders have a moment. Let's not squander it. Let's work together uh, to achieve a much 
better building stock moving forward. So after his lecture, Adrian Joyce took some questions from the lecture's participants. And the last question is actually answered by next week's guest, Marcel Bekeboom, who was the Dutch government's climate envoy. Yes, Holland has a climate envoy. So on to the questions. What can be the power of lighting to, to solve all these problems and to be part of this ambitious target? So what can be lighting be part of, uh, of the solution? So maybe for Adrian, first of all, what's in your opinion, the answer of that question? Yeah, Thomas, thanks. And uh, thanks to the questioner. Um, I mean, the power of lighting it has been well known uh, uh, for many, many uh, decades. I would even say more than a century because lighting, artificial lighting brings a quality of life. Uh, it lengthens the day for all of us. Uh, it allows us to learn more, to study. We see that now in the rollout of um, the U United Nations program of access uh, for e to energy for all in, in Africa. It's allowing uh, greater and higher education to be brought to millions more, more people. So that's a first thought that strikes my mind. The second thought is, as you very ably demonstrated, lighting is all around us. And uh, that means that those lighting points can now be exploited in a digital world in a, in a much more uh, complete way. And uh, going beyond uh, the pure lighting service provided and uh, locating sensors or controls within lighting points gives us an opportunity to do more data collection, to give more control to the users, to allow them to have better comfort conditions in their buildings. So I wouldn't see lighting as a small share. Uh, and it's up to, I think, the lighting industry to see that broader picture and uh, bring forward ideas that, uh, that can um, embed the role of lighting in all of these sustainability goals that we are talking about. And of course, we can't overlook the last point which has come up in the last year for all of us, uh, lighting can be used to sterilize rooms from COVID and other viruses through UVC, which is a perfectly safe technology for, for use within uh, buildings. So these are the thoughts, Thomas, that cross my mind when I think about your sector. And uh, of course, all of those wonderful technologies need to be integrated into uh, very well insulated and designed buildings uh, to have a full environment that's really for human-centered and uh, beneficial moving forward. Thanks. Yes, thank you very much, Adrian. Um, then a question for Marcel, also from a national uh, government perspective. So can you maybe give a short update about, uh, about the Netherlands when you look to, uh, to, this, uh, to this topic? We have adopted a climate law that uh, has put in law climate neutrality in 2050 so that it calculating back from 2050 we have to report to parliament every year what we are doing and what steps are taken to uh, to to get us there we have a, a climate agreement a national climate agreement that uh, was multi-stakeholder when we created it uh, two three years ago um, and that helps us to lay to map out the steps towards 2030 when we are coursing on a 49% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but maybe most importantly to mention uh, now at, at this moment is that um, now the European uh, Council has raised the bar to 55% reduction in 2030. 
that um, we in the Netherlands also have to step up and uh, translate those European goals into new national actions. And to give you an, an illustration of what that means, a study group has just recently mapped out possible measures that have to be taken additionally to, um, to cover that, that gap between 49% and 52 or 55. And that roughly comes down to a doubling of the, um, the measures that were in the climate agreement as it was negotiated three years ago. So that just a few percent means doubling of the efforts. And that is the kind of reality that we are dealing with, not only in the Netherlands, but I, I guess across the board. Marcel Bergerboom, at the time, the Netherlands Climate Envoy, taking the last question at a lecture given by Adrian Joyce. You can hear more from Marcel Bergerboom in next week's podcast and see all of Mr. Joyce's lecture on the website of the Signify Lighting Academy. The link is in the show text. The Signify Lighting Academy has a vast video library of great lectures from the world of lighting like this one. You can sign up for free, view them all, and find out about upcoming lectures at signify.com slash global slash lighting hyphen academy. Signify.com slash global slash lighting hyphen academy. Signify Lighting Talks is a podcast series of lectures from the greatest thinkers and speakers from the world of lighting and is edited by Jaap Schuring. I'm Jonathan Gruber, and on behalf of Signify, we wish you a brighter life in a better world.